It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Today on CityCast Chicago. Ten years ago, Simeon High School in Chatham on the South Side made history when it won its fourth consecutive basketball state title. Congratulations to the Simeon Wolverines, their fourth straight IHSA boys basketball title. Amazing. The powerhouse team was ranked and known across the country from the star players to the legendary coach. Chicago Tribune reporter Colleen Kane covered Simeon's team closely back in 2013. Ten years later, she talked with many of those former players about the dynasty they helped build, just as this year's squad competes for another state title. It's Wednesday, March 8th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago's Talking About. Colleen, welcome to CityCast Chicago. Hi, thanks for having me on. I'm excited for you to be here. If I'm correct, you started with the Tribune in 2007, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. You were covering high school sports then. And at the time, Simeon had just won two state titles with a kid by the name of, you know, I don't know, Derrick Rose, who were going to be drafted by the Bulls, number one overall, become the youngest MVP in NBA history. Can you describe that time in Simeon basketball history? What was it like to follow and watch this team play? Yeah, yeah. So I started in, uh, like you said, 20, 2007. And I started out um, like taking scores and doing stuff like that. And then it was covering girls basketball. And so, you know, I obviously I followed the the Derrick Rose team and stuff like that. And then a few years later comes the Jabari Parker team, right? And I, I was an assistant high school sports editor at the time in, in 2012. And they my boss, the sports editor, Mike Kellums, and our high school sports editor, Paul Scribina, decided that they wanted to cover the Simeon team, which was going for its fourth straight state title. They wanted to cover it like a pro team. And so they decided that they would we would go to all of the games, all of the practices, travel with them out of state, which was, uh, you know, they had like six out of state trips or something like that. And and just follow them because they they had Jabari Parker, but they also had like all these other future Division One players. Yeah, Kenneth Pollard, Kendrick Nunn. We're we're gonna talk about the the how stacked this roster was, but between this 2009 and 2013, where they're winning state championship after state championship after state championship, mm-hmm. before you even start following them, what was it like for us to get to a two peat and a three peat in a city pretty familiar with three peats? We mentioned this in the story, like even before we got to the to the 2012-13 team, Jabari's stardom was just rising. You know, he was they wrote a story about him in the New York Times. They wrote a he got on the cover of Sports Illustrated in it was the spring of 2012. So it was his junior year, you know, and obviously he's like a pretty fascinating kid at the time. So you understood the interest, right? Like he was son of Sonny Parker. He was, uh, you know, really devout in his faith and open about that. And so I think, I feel like the hype for the team and for Jabari in particular, just kept uh, building up into, up to this 2012 season. 
Can you talk a little bit about, you know, again, Chicago is is no uh, slouch when it comes to high school stars, Mm -hmm. but just the amount of attention. We're in the social media era by the time Jabari Parker is blowing up. What was it like to be covering this team, but also covering someone like Jabari, who, like you said, was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, spoke openly about his faith, was was very humble in the light of, of all of this stardom. What was that like? It was really interesting getting to like to spend so much time and kind of watch how a kid, you know, I mean, he was still a kid at that time, you know, he was 18 years old or 17 or 18 years old, how he handled um, just kind of that attention and people following him around and him being shuttled to different events to speak or win awards or, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. He said he was very humble, very likable. He handled it so well. And I think a lot of that, I think his parents kind of prepared him for that. Like he understood what it meant to, you know, to be the star who was going to attract all this attention and how he needed to act and how he needed to treat people and things like that. And so it was just really interesting to watch, I thought. This is a, a Mormon kid living on the South Side of Chicago. Did that bring a, a special amount of interest to his story? Yeah, I think for sure. And I think, you know, like the headline on the Sports Illustrated article was that I, I can't even remember what it was, but it, it had to do with his faith. Like he was as interested in his faith as he was in basketball. Right. We even went with him um, during this project that we did. We went with him to his scripture study and stuff like that. And I was going back and reading and I didn't remember this now, but I was going back and reading the story, one of the stories we did on him. And it was talking about how like the kids in the scripture study knew what was coming when we went because they had already had Good Morning America, Sports Illustrated, the New York <laughs> Times, and like someone else visit them. So like the girl's putting on makeup when we when we go because she knows that like the scripture study was so um, you know, was drawing so much attention. So yeah, obviously that was that was something his story was very compelling in that way. Going into the 2012-2013 season, my senior year of college, at the start of that season, three championships in tow. What did the pressure look like when you would go into these practices? Were they as aware of how much stock and pressure was on them as maybe the rest of the city was? I think so. And I think Jabari in particular, because it had been, you know, his goal to win all four championships. I think he kind of carried the weight a little bit with him. And he had been injured like his uh, over the summer. He was injured and kind of started the year. Um, still recovering from that and was still kind of getting back in shape. And so that was kind of a weight he carried and the, you know, the college announcement where they, you know, he, all these people came to watch him (laughs) announce he was going to Duke. So, yeah, I think there was a pressure on him, especially, and, you know, some of them, maybe some of them felt it more than others. Other, Mm -hmm. Other players on the team were, you know, probably just having fun and playing basketball, but I think he definitely understood it and probably a couple of the others did too. Can you talk about some some of the controversy that came out of this sort of star jam packed pressure filled season? So January is when like a lot of the controversy started. So they had buzzing before the season about the transfers that came in. They had four trans- kids that transferred in. And then in January, the IHSA declared three of them ineligible. It was maybe it wasn't that long after the um, ineligibility came. There was a game against Morgan Park. It was at a neutral site after the game. There was just kind of a, I mean, like it wasn't a big fight, but it was a little bit of the scuffle where people were, you know, the teams came together, got broken up. Then after the game, as people were leaving, um, a Morgan Park student was shot outside of, shot and killed outside of the arena. 
these these were kids that we were covering, so we were in contact a lot with uh, parents um, during during the project. And you know, obviously, it, it shakes them having that happen right outside. You know, right mm-hmm. outside at one of their, their kids' games. They did play like a game. They closed it to the public just because they were, you know, just worried about stuff that was going on. And yeah, so I mean, that was obviously a big event and something that kind of shook some of the people that were involved in those two teams, I think. Eventually, the team would find the resolve to uh, make an amazing run to the state finals, which were held down at Carver Arena in Peoria, Bradley University, uh, where I was able to, to to go through. What was it like for four years to pull off something that had only happened with one other team in Illinois history? What was it like covering that game and, and that, uh, that that sort of championship series? Yeah, it was it was incredible. And to watch them finally do it, this thing that they had build, been building up to, it was it was really amazing. And obviously you could see kind of if you go back and watch the game, we were I went back and watched the game on I just it's on YouTube or something like that. And afterward, like someone walks up to Jabari and is trying to ask him questions and he's just crying. You know, it just you could tell that it was just like this release like oh i finally did it and then you know the fun another video that we found after or we're looking back on again was they had made this do you remember that like the harlem shake uh, mm-hmm. videos that people made so like you were talking about this is kind of like the start of the social media eras kind of building up here and they had decided that they were going to make a harlem shake video so then in the locker room afterward they do it and they're all dancing and it's just it was you got to see them kind of like let loose And I I think one of the players said it to me too, like, you know, we had been, we were so disciplined and so focused on this so long. It was like, finally, we could just like be kids and let loose and, and enjoy it. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. For so many of the players on that team, Mm -hmm. for some of those individuals like Jabari Parker, they graduate and they go on to Duke. But a really horrific moment sort of brings this team back together a few years after uh, they win this state championship. Uh, And it's because one of their brothers who was on that team, Saeed Ivey. Uh, Can you tell us what happened to Saeed in 2016? Yeah, so Saeed had been a junior on the team and he played a senior season and he decided that he wanted to go to East Los Angeles College um, to kind of play there and maybe catch the attention of a, a, a bigger program. So he moves out to Los Angeles. Um, so it was June 9th, 2016, and he it was his um, going to it was his 20th birthday. He was out celebrating with friends, and the Simeon players had actually kind of been in contact. Um, they still stayed in contact, and before Saeed went out for his birthday that night, they talked about the NBA finals and were texting back and forth. Um, and then he went out with his friends, and he returned home um, to his apartment. It was a gated apartment complex. His brother was with him that night. And I believe it was about 4 a.m. He told, he asked his friend for his, the keys to his mom's car, which was a silver Mercedes. He said he was going to go meet a girl, went out there and um, was shot and killed. 
you know, we talked to, for this story, we talked to both Saeed's mom and the detective on the case. Um, the case is still open and has not been solved. From what we understood from the detective is someone ran from very, uh, not very good apartment complex security video. Someone ran up to the car, was there for a few seconds, shot him through a opening in the uh, window, driver's side window, crawled into the back seat and, and he died there. And they, um, you know, they, they it's still open. They don't have, they were hoping both his mom and the detective, um, you know, are hoping that uh, by us publishing this story again, more information can come to light because they believe that someone knows someone is out there who knows what happened, but they have not been able to solve the case yet. As people are trying to share their memories and their stories and, and, the, and the picture of, of, of Saeed, you know, can, can you share what, what some of those memories people uh, would tell you? Yeah. And, you know, I, I get to see it a little bit. He was smart and he was funny and he was thoughtful. He was like a kid, you know, when I, most teenagers, when you go interview them for high school sports stories, don't, can't give you like, you know, really thoughtful answers, but he was, a, he was someone that did that. And his mom said he loved to debate. And one thing that all of the players talked about with him is just how confident he was and how driven he was to, you know, make something of himself. There's still the phrase fineo. And you see it all over all of their social media profiles. His mom uses it. And Beneo is failure is not an option. And it was his motto that he would like sign all of his texts with and always like said to all of his teammates. And it's something that they still use and carry on. Like that's how much of an impact that he had on them and his dreams and his confidence. And Zach Norvell, who's out at Gonzaga now, was saying like, you know, obviously this was horrible thing that we went through, but I'm trying to remember that whenever he was having, whenever someone else was down, he was always trying to, Saeed was always trying to lift someone else up. And so I'm trying to kind of be that positive influence on other people now. With so much attention on the players on the court, we can't forget this legendary figure sitting on the bench. And that's coach Robert Smith. What did you know about the coach as you started to cover Simeon's basketball program closely? And what maybe uh, did you learn about him throughout this process? Yeah, you know, I knew um, Simeon had been for a long time closed off to reporters like the players weren't allowed to talk to reporters and because he didn't want it to be a distraction or for whatever reason and so even under smith i you know i he started to loosen but um you know i knew that they were they were private still i think a little bit and so i knew that i knew that you know he was took discipline very seriously and made sure that his players were you know following the rules on and off the court and and ran these really tough practices. And I think one thing that we we talked about in the story that a lot of players talked about um, now, 10 years later, is just kind of his understanding of how to get all of these great players to buy into a team concept. Because a lot of these guys could have gone somewhere else and been like a star on a lesser team, right? A team that's not going for his fourth straight state championship. Now, for sure, Simeon is Kentucky basketball in Chicago. You got a lot of people coming out of sixth, seventh, eighth grade in our city who are hopeful that they might get the opportunity to play. My friends would always tell me that the games 
that they would play during gym or the pickup games they would play after school with people who didn't make the basketball team were more competitive than some of the organized basketball they had played in their life. So you had a lot of people coming in, as your article would say, who already thought they were all Americans, who already thought they were stars. Right. And, I, you know, I think what I've learned about Robert Smith and what, you know, what other people have said about him over the years is that one of his great abilities is to get these players who are all so good to buy into their roles. You all got this beautiful opportunity to talk to so many of these players who were on this championship winning team. And many of them, you know, are still in basketball. Some of them have moved on to different part of their lives. Just how monumental was this for these these young men? Yeah, I think it was it was huge. And it was obviously this great accomplishment. It's really what struck me about the story is how like involved they still are with Simeon and how connected they all still are. You know, I, when we were first trying to report this, I had been in touch with Jalen Tate was the first one that I think that I got in touch with. And he said, we were going to go out to Robert Smith's 500th win the game. And he said, Oh yeah, Jabari's going to be there and Kendall's going to be there. So we go and they're all there. And Kendrick Nunn's father is there. And it was just like really striking that all of these People have gone and played in the NBA and played in Europe and done all these things in basketball and their careers are back in this gym together, um, you know, for their coach and for each other. And they wanted to encourage, you know, they Jabari still goes back and practices with them sometimes. And it's just around to kind of encourage them and tell them, you know, explain to them what it means to be a part of this program. And so to me, that was like the really striking thing was how connected they still are to Simeon and how connected they still are. I, I, I appreciate you stopping by. It feels like this was a much part of your introduction and, and, and growth in Chicago as it was for, for so many of these individuals as well. Yeah, it really was. It was a, like this really unique experience for me. And I've always kind of held it close to my heart. And so to be able to go back to see all of them and catch up with all of them and kind of tell the story of mm-hmm. what, you know, what happens to these this amazing high school team 10 years later was was really fun to do. Colleen Kane is a Chicago Tribune sports reporter and she recently wrote about Simeon's historic 2013 basketball team and where the players are a decade later. Colleen, thank you for stopping by CityCast today. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. Applications for mail-in ballots for the April 4th runoff are open now, and you can request those until the end of the month. Unless you're on the permanent vote-by-mail roster, you need to apply. Early voting begins on March 20th. Remember, let your people know we got one more election ahead of us. You can find out your war information at the Chicago Board of Elections website. I'll drop a link for you in the show notes. Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle has endorsed Commissioner Brandon Johnson. United Center concession workers are prepared to strike again after failing to reach an agreement with management. Remember, they walked out on Sunday, and starting today, the United Center is hosting the Big Ten Men's Basketball Tournament. And some good news. 
to get you through. Eve Ewing is hosting a lecture tomorrow at the University of Chicago that's open to the public at 4 p.m. I'm excited because she's going to be sharing some excerpts from her next book project. As always, we appreciate you for listening. Join us here tomorrow bright and early. In the meantime, in between time, go on over and read our daily newsletter, Hey Chicago. If you don't know what I'm talking about, subscribe now at chicago.citycast.fm. Talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Mic check, one, two, one, two. Mic check, one, three, one, three. What the one?